You're listening to Sphera Now, a podcast focused on safety, sustainability, and productivity issues. This is brought to you by Sphera, a leading global provider of integrated risk management software, data, and consulting services with a focus on environment, health, safety, and sustainability, operational risk management, and product stewardship. Now, let's get started. Welcome to the Sphere Now podcast. I'm James Trahani, Sparks Editor-in-Chief. Today on the program, I'll be speaking with Simon Jones, Sphere's Director of Solution Consulting for Operational Risk Management. We'll be talking about process safety fundamentals and what that means for an operator's safety culture. Thank you so much for joining me today, Simon. It's good to be here, James. Well, thank you for taking the time. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about your background before we begin? Yeah, so... Um... My background is actually in process safety. Uh, So I've had some operational experience in the chemical industry in the UK uh, and also been a manager of the European Process Safety Centre. But more recently, I've been working with uh, technology firms on uh, developing tools to help manage process safety effectively. I understand that the IOGP recently came out with um, a list of 10 areas that uh, fit into this process safety fundamentals. Can you go through those real quickly and then we can kind of go in more in detail on some of these areas later on in the podcast? Sure. Okay, James. So, so IOGP, you know, published this, this list of process safety fundamentals. And there are 10 of them. So there's maintain safe isolation, walk the line, apply procedures, sustain barriers, control ignition sources, recognize change, respect hazards, stay within operational limits, stop if the unexpected occurs, and watch for weak signals. Great. And it seems like most if not all of those really tie into safety culture so i'm looking forward to uh really diving in on a few of these there are two organizations that you mentioned the international association of oil and gas producers Mm -hmm. and the environmental i think yeah the european process safety center can you tell me a little bit about those two organizations quickly yeah so the iogp is uh, a membership organization of of oil and gas producers and they set some of the guidelines on uh, all sorts of operational and engineering aspects of the uh, oil and gas industry. And one of the major areas that they've invested a lot of time in over the last uh, few years has been trying to improve the um, or standardize the approach to process safety incident reporting. And so they've got a number of guidelines around that. API 754, I think, is the is the main one. But off the back of that, that data that they started to collect from their members, they've actually noticed how a high proportion of the high consequence incidents, i.e. process safety incidents, and even fatalities, it relate to maybe, I think they say, around 10 p- operational practices. So they've had to go at writing some fundamental rules around process safety uh, to address those frontline operational aspects of process safety management. I think one of the pieces of data that they reported was that uh, 91% of fatal process safety events are linked to 10 core uh, process safety fundamentals. Are those the type of incidents that you'd see in the Marsh report? Well, well, actually, 
yeah, they are. But um, the ones that actually make it into the Marsh Report are, are, are huge property damages, which also have fatalities. What, what that data statistic that I talked about was incidents where there was a loss of life, regrettably. Um, and some of those actually don't make it into the Marsh Report. So their piece, their sort of um, analysis showed that, uh, yeah, 91% of the incident of the fatalities uh, in the oil and gas industry relate to, you know, one or more of these 10 key process safety fundamentals. And then there's another organisation, the European Process Safety Centre. Now this is a membership organisation of uh, chemical. Uh, and manufacturing facilities uh, in Europe and they have been around well I, I guess about about 20 years or more now um, and a couple of their members in Europe have had a couple of have had some initiatives around trying to address process safety issues because there's been this recognition I suppose over the last 10 or 15 years that whilst there's been a big push on uh, personal safety to try and improve accident statistics you we still are getting these high consequence events happening you know there's definitely overlap with the iogp but there's actually um, quite a lot of detail in the epsc uh, ones which so i think they've got about 19 18 sorry 18 uh, process safety fundamentals but again you know it, it is the it is the similar sorts of things, the re, you know, repeating sort of human activities that are uh, that people undertake when they're carrying out maintenance on the facility, which you know leads to these losses of containments and regrettably you know process safety accidents and and potentially uh, fatalities as well. So this is the thing that really. Puzzles me. With all we know about process safety, why are these? Why are we still getting so many of these major incidents? I mean, I know that there's no blanket statement that can answer ever uh, every question about every incident, but it seems to me it should be getting better. But it seems like we're seeing a lot of major incidents, even in the last ten years, when it sh it should be going the other way, where things are getting better. So, uh, yeah, what's what's the issue here? Well, I think the issue is if you read behind, you know, the the, the fundamentals that those organisations list, it is about connecting process safety uh, to the frontline workforce. So, people have got to know to stay within safe operating limits. They they've got to know you know, the purpose for the uh, safeguards or barriers that have been designed into their facilities so that they can, you know, maintain them and support them effectively. They've got to know to walk the line before they start up facilities uh, or, or, or units following major maintenance activities. So, so it's very much about the human aspect of operating and maintaining high hazard plants. When like a dynamic risk pathways comes out, do you think that's going to make a major difference in the fundamentals of process safety? Well, I, I think it will because you know we you know on on both of the two models of process safety uh, fundamentals, you know, sustaining safeguards or sustaining barriers is a key topic, and I think that a tool. A, 
a tool or a piece of technology that helps highlight the health of those fundamental barriers will certainly uh, keep that information, that process safety information and the consequences of, you know, not maintaining those barriers front and center of the uh, the operators and maintainers of the facility. And I mean, it really is a lot about the digital aspect of this that we uh, companies didn't have access to before, but they do now. But then as we see this digital um, emergence, Mm-hmm. Do we think that we're at a tipping point where we we will see accidents go down as more and more companies embrace this type of software and technology? I I think it should. I think it's a two two pronged approach. I think these process safety fundamentals documents will help because they are you know they're they're aimed at trying to uh, sort of change behaviours if you like on the facility. So the the tools include sort of. Uh, you know, guidance on how to effectively, you know, go out onto a facility and have a conversation about the process safety fundamentals. So that that human behavioural stuff is 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 good and it's important. But the other thing that technology is bringing is uh, the ability to actually collect uh, connect all the different data sources that relate to the health and hazards on the facility. Uh, to to people at the front line, so that they know about you know the consequences of intervening on a particular facility or shutting down a particular barrier, or you know what's the what's the potential major accident consequence if we choose to defer maintenance on a on a critical piece of equipment. So if we put that information in into uh, into people's hands and into their their monitors. Um, and we do that alongside a, a sort of behavioural program like is embedded in these process safety fundamentals. I think that that two-pronged approach will uh, should drive down uh, the, uh, the frequency and size of the consequences of process safety accidents um, over time. So how concerned are you about the delay in turnarounds from 2020? Um, are there... Do you, do you foresee the opportunity for more incidents and potentially fatal incidents because of it? Well, I, I certainly think that's a, that's a risk. Um, I think that the fact that organizations are choosing to defer turnaround activity because of the, you know, the, either the economic environment or the, the, uh, the, the, uh, the COVID business environment and the impacts of COVID on the business environment does mean that inevitably some critical maintenance is being deferred. And I think it would be unreasonable to say that it has zero impact on the risk on the facility. So how how does communication play into all this? I know you've talked about, you mentioned just a few minutes ago about having a conversation, but um, are you still seeing issues with um, uh, communicating risk within organizations? Yeah, I think I think that's a fundamental um, challenge for all uh, high hazard industries, and I I do think that these process safety fundamentals will help because it'll help people at, at, in all um, all levels of the organisation to have an everyday kind of conversation around some of these important issues, and I think as the awareness of these 
process safety fundamentals increases, you know, it's a natural thing for all of the the leaders and managers and team leaders in the in the organisation to seek better quality, uh, you know, data on that on the actual hazard status of the facility, and that's where technology might come in, or where technology does come in. And who's the who in an organization is the typical person who would lead that type of conversation? Well, that's that's a dilemma in itself because typically in organizations, it, it, you know, let's say in the past, it would have been somebody who is a, a dedicated process safety expert, a process safety manager or a process safety engineer or an operational integrity engineer. However, there's an analogy here with uh, with general sort of personal safety and that, that, you know, over the last 15 years, there's been a drive to push personal safety, you know, into everybody's line responsibilities. And I think there's an, you know, an analogous thing happening here with process safety. It needs to be about, you know, everybody's responsibility. So whether you're the, you know, the, uh, the business owner, the asset manager, the, the, the unit leader or uh, the shift supervisor or even the technician out on the front line, you need to know about these process safety fundamentals and you need to know about the, you know, the risk status on your facility today because that should be informing your, uh, your, your, your everyday decisions. And does that start at the C-suite with the C-suite really pushing for that type of process safety, fundamental safety message? Or is that um, is it more important that it's somebody who's more at the uh, operational level? Well, I think these process safety fundamentals are are more at the operational level, but but um, it's human nature for uh, for for people out in uh, commercial organisations to pay particular attention to you know what their immediate manager is interested in. So in that sense, it's it's top down. You know, if 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 you know risk status and you know, process safety status is a board level um, requirement. It's something that's reported on. It will filter down throughout the organization. And then going the other way, these, these process safety fundamentals tools that are about starting everyday frontline conversations within these organizations will, will drive a sort of bottom-up approach as well. And it should uh, there should be a sort of convergence, I would hope, of, of good process safety practice as a result. As you talk to companies, which of the fundamentals do you think are the hardest to achieve and why? Well, I, well, I actually think it's the, the one that seems, seems the simplest. On the IOGP model, it's, you know, we sustain barriers. And that's a very simple statement. But 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 the reality is that there are you know myriad barriers designed into facilities, and it's the visibility of those barriers which is is the problem, uh, you know, and the and the relative importance of those barriers. Um, so so any tool set, any uh, any ability to you know to surface the data that that represents the health of those barriers or safeguards, is going to be key, I think, for uh, for improving process safety performance. So let's kind of go through some of the other um, fundamentals that we have listed here. So maintain safe isolation. What are the challenges there? That seems like a real safety culture part part of this equation. It is. It is. Um, and you'll see that in the uh, in the uh, European Process Safety Center 
process safety fundamentals. There's quite a few that relate to isolation. So there's applying double isolation. So don't rely just on you know one uh, one barrier to protect you from high pressure or high temperature or high voltage. There's 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 ones that relate to um, emptying and de-energizing equipment or pipe work or electrical devices before uh, actually you know putting your hand in the machine I guess is the uh, uh, the uh, analogy you know monitoring and uh, open drains is another one which all relate to isolation practices because oftentimes you're having to um, you know isolate equipment in order for you to safely enter it or uh, or um, uh, drain it uh, and of course that's when you are when humans are actually going to be most likely to uh, encounter the process fluids or the or the electricity so are, are most of the incidents in this area revolving accidents that are based on carelessness and human error well i guess yeah I guess I could get philosophical on that one and say to to air is, to is human. Be philosophical. <laughs> it's it's it, to air is human, really. So, so we've got to design our procedures and practices to minimise the risk of error. And I and I and I think uh, I think we know how to do that. But it's the it's the consistency of the application of those procedures, which is which is. The, you know the challenge really and i think these process safety fundamentals should should help because they'll people will understand you know why they have to follow the particular procedures or follow the particular steps because so, you know the person is standing in front of the valve you know uh, swinging swinging the valve might be the person that gets splashed with the fluid that's inside but it could lead to a lot, you know, complete loss of process containment, which then turns into a major conflagration that, you know, that kills, you know, many people and destroys a lot of equipment. So, it, it, you know, there is that that aspect of, you know, following the procedures because they're there, they're there, you know, for a reason. So this is one thing that I've often wondered about. So safety signage is so important in an organization. But mm -hmm. at what? But how do you combat that becoming white noise when you see a sign saying, "This is the safety procedure here. This is the safety procedure there." Eventually, you see that day after day after day. Does it? Is it easy to, for people to tune that messaging out? And how do you reinforce that messaging? Well, certainly, certainly, I think it is a natural, a natural human trait to do that, um, and we probably experience it in our in our in our daily lives, you know, receiving emails that are that are you know flagged as from an external system, you you kind of just ignore that after a while, don't you? That's a very topical one for us in our business. But yes, the the same does happen, I think, out on these process plants. So so then you are trying to address people's sort of you know fundamental um, underpinning you know knowledge about the consequences. Uh, of 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 not following these good practices, and that's for frontline workers and their supervisors, and it's also for for unit leaders as well, because it all contributes to the risk, uh, the risk status of the facility. So the second one that I thought had a, a big impact on safety culture was walking the line. Mm -hmm. 
Can you tell me a little bit about that and the risks there? Well, well, certainly walking the line is um, a, a, an activity that relates to, you know, inspecting the facility before you started up or the, or the piece of equipment before you started up to make sure that all of the uh, equipment uh, is in the state the state that you expect it to be so you know it, it all of the isolation all the isolating points are returned to the de-isolated state and you know all of the all of the safety barriers uh, are, are available and uh, in place before you actually you know press the button to start the machine so in organizations do you think organizations do a good job at encouraging people to uh, document risks when they're walking the line, knowing that if there is a shutdown that's necessary, it's a very expensive procedure. But if you see a corrosive pipe, do organizations really, a corroding pipe, I should say, um, do organizations do a very good job at really getting their workers to really uh, raise their hand and say that, yes, there is a safety uh, concern here, or is it something that uh, companies really have to do a better job at. Well, I think there's there's always room for improvement, but I will say that, that that is an area that has improved a lot from a process safety point of view, and it it is actually probably driven by organisations like the IOGP. They're encouraging operators to report all of these these you know tiny events that you're talking about because they are precursors to larger events is encouraging people to report smaller and smaller volumes of of you know small loss of primary containment looking for uh, indicators related to you know um, availability of those safety barriers that we talked about while well, they're encouraging operators to collect data related to um, you know calls on safety systems because if you're having more calls on a safety barrier or a safety system you've got to say that that's an indicator of, of potentially not having full control of that process. Do you have an example of what one of those small primary containments would be? Yeah so yeah so I could use a I could use a Scottish saying here. There's a, there's a. I'm not Scottish, by the way. But you know, there's there has been a um, quite a big focus on weeps and seeps in uh, on on oil and gas industry equipment and the reporting of those. Now that that is probably a natural consequence of aging oil and gas uh, operations equipment in that you know the equipment's aging you're more likely to get weeps and seeps or small tiny leaks and so there's been a you know some big really positive um, programs around reporting that and benchmarking that in in different uh, jurisdictions around the world sometimes it's driven by the by the um, industry organizations and sometimes it's driven by the regulators in the, in those regions but I think that's a pretty healthy indicator that that you know now, you know now we're serious about looking for the um, the early signs of you know losses of primary containment, which we, you know which could escalate. Can you explain how you go from a weep and seep to something that is a larger incident? I mean, is that something that could happen over weeks or months or even days? 
Well, uh, yeah, I guess it depends on the stage that it's at. But but all all responsible operators now would would have a program of operational integrity, you know, or asset integrity monitoring, where this kind of situation would be monitored, uh, risk assessed, and managed. Um, but 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 the other point about this though is is you know relates to uh, simultaneous work in an area so whilst your operators might be going out uh, or sorry your asset integrity inspectors might be going out and capturing data in their uh, asset integrity system or maintenance management system related to these minor weeps and seeps you've also got another part of the organization uh, that might be planning to do work in that area uh, and, you know, one of the natural escalation paths, of course, would be, you know, planning to do hot work in an area where you have got these minor, you know, uh, these minor weeps and seeps, you know, and that could lead to a fire, which could lay to a more, more significant loss of primary containment. So, so again, it comes back to, you know, the, the silos of information in the organization that really should be connected, uh, you know, could be better connected to minimize that risk of escalation. And I remember, I can't remember which incident was, but I had heard about an incident where um, knowledge was not transferred to contractors. So if there is that sort of weep and seep going on, and then there's some work being done by contractors who are not used to being in the facility or aren't in the facility very often, it seems like that could be a uh, dangerous situation for the the, uh, contractors. No. Yeah, it's, yeah, but yeah, potentially it depends on the nature of the work, and then it comes down to the you know the control of work uh, that you that the the contract supervisor and the asset owner or shift or unit leader is is permitting in an area, and all of those daily decisions you know by the contract supervisor, by the unit leader or shift supervisor, you know should be informed by you know, real-time information about the health of all of the critical safeguards on the uh, on the facility. So, you know, the the shift supervisor will know not to issue the hot work to the to the to the guy doing the uh, uh, you know the welding activity. At, you know, at a location where there are uh, potential um, you know, hydrocarbons, for instance, would be the natural sort of simops kind of uh, view on that. And as I'm going through this list, I'm starting to realize that pretty much all of these are related to safety culture. So um, I don't know if we'll get through all of these, but uh, the next mm. one on the list was apply procedures. Yeah, so fo- almost follow procedures is uh, is the is the point. So there are there are incident reports uh, associated with with you know this this. You you could interpret the action the the actions let's say as you know real men don't use procedures uh, you know um, there's that kind of bravado that might you might see at a major hazard plant but but the really? reality even today <laughs> uh, yeah maybe maybe that's that's something from you know 15 years ago but there there is this this idea it comes back to this uh, you know blindness if you like if you if you've done this if you followed the same procedure every day for you know 220 working days of a of a um, uh, of your working life in a year you know how much value is the procedure well you know the procedure exists to actually catch the the non-standard uh, situation and, and and deal with it uh, safely 
Uh, and the the example that that's often given is the is the you know the checklists that exist on the uh, in the cockpit of an aircraft. Um, you know, I'm sure if you were a passenger on an airplane, you wouldn't want to see the pre-startup checklist being filled out by the pilot. You know, as you disembark at the end of your journey, it 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 they are it is a pretty fundamental error avoidance mechanism and it needs to be treated that way in in all um, you know major hazard uh, endeavors so you talk about the same procedure 220 days in a row and that makes total sense you have your checklist or whatever and it's easy to follow but how often are these um, types of organizations dealing with the management of change because is it something that doesn't happen very often that they have to consider in their uh, fundamental process safety uh, or is it something that happens less frequently? So there you go. You could say that the, the procedures are there to help you both manage the normal every day but also recognize when you're deviating from that from that normal procedure and that's at which the time at which uh, these uh, you know MOC procedures need to come in. And it depends on the nature of the facility, but I, I would say, you know, at a at a greater level, a greater or lesser level, you know, organisations are constantly dealing with with change. You know, whether it's a you know huge you know business change driven by economics or uh, you know COVID, or or a tiny change to the formulation of a of a chemical that you intend to use as part of a a batch reaction. So so almost, you know, <laughs> managing, uh, you know change is a, is a fundamental aspect of managing risk from my point of view. Are those formulation changes um, just by because of human error or are they intentional changes that you're talking about? Well, it depends on the nature of the business. I mean, there's less, there's less, let's just say there's less small changes that would happen in a, in a continuous, you know, high volume, continuous process. But if you're dealing with, you know, batch processes in a chemical facility, you might have to be dealing with um, uh, you know, changes to you know formulation or or temperature for a particular batch reaction. Equally, you might be working in a, a sort of pharmaceutical environment where you know there's really really tight procedures in place to to drive quality, which which mean you can't deviate from uh, you know the formulation. Let's say so. So it depends on the nature of the of the business, as I suppose about the you know the relative scale of MOC. But I think it's a fundamental, a fundamentally important uh, business process from a from a process safety point of view. Very good. Well, I appreciate the time today. This was an interesting conversation. So thank you thanks. so much. Yeah, thanks, James. Want more safety, sustainability, and productivity-related content? Check out Sphera Spark, your new home for expert information from Sphera and outside contributors designed to spark a conversation. Visit sphera.com slash spark today.